Welcome back to See, Hear, Feel. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Stephen T. Chen, who is an assistant professor of dermatology at Harvard Medical School, one of several associate program directors in the Harvard Dermatology Program, and co-director of the Comprehensive Cutaneous Lymphoma Program at MGH Cancer Center. He is a dermatologist and hospitalist at MGH and Harvard Medical School. His main focus is complex medical dermatology, and he is an active member of the MGH Cancer Center's Severe Immunotherapy Complex service. He believes in harnessing the power of social media for medical education and is interested in improving traditional models of undergraduate and graduate medical education. You can find him on Twitter at Dr. Stephen T. Chen, and a link to that will be in the show notes. As I shared with you before we started recording, emotional intelligence would have really benefited me as a medical student, I'd never heard of emotional intelligence at that time. How do you think you use emotional intelligence at work or at home or in what you do? That's such a great question. And forgive me, my own definition of emotional intelligence probably isn't all-inclusive enough for all that it encompasses. But for me, when I think about emotional intelligence, I'm really thinking about being able to sense your patient, your colleagues, and your own kind of emotional state at any given time and to adapt appropriately to those different inputs into your own kind of perception and sensory intake. And in that sense, I think it's critically important and something that I don't deliberately think about all the time, but something that I feel like it's one of those things where if you notice that it's missing, it's very obvious. But if it's there, hopefully everything runs smoothly. I think about this a lot and I talk with my partner a lot about this. I use many of the same skills with my residents, with my patients, with my support staff, with my colleagues, as I do with my own kids. A lot of that is playing off of how they're doing, emotionally speaking, and also playing off of how I feel, emotionally speaking, when we're talking about something that might be particularly charged or or something that that incites a lot of emotion. For example, something that's always stressed me out is the patient who is unhappy, an angry patient. Yeah. And, you know, as a medical student, I remember just watching a variety of different attendings in different specialties, and they would approach that scenario very differently. I don't necessarily think the specialty had anything to do with it, but rather kind of that particular attending's ability to cope with how that played on their own emotions. And I think about that a lot because now that I've been in attending for almost seven years and been a resident for five, I think a lot about the fact that when I'm faced with something that really stresses me out and it almost feels like a personal attack, I need to stop. I need to take a deep breath. I need to think about how that person is feeling. And I've learned how to extract myself from certain situations so that I don't say something that I, I, I regret. I can approach it in a very mature way. The fact that I can use those exact same skills with my kids at home is not lost on me. But I also think that some people just get it. Some people have got it. But it's trainable. For myself, I, at the start of training, probably was a little bit more quick to react, quick to retort or to have that conversation. But more and more, I've realized the power of listening and to stop and to kind of process before doing that. And that at home has also done a lot in terms of helping me kind of navigate those difficult conversations. So that's that's my very uneducated approach to emotional intelligence when it applies to clinical care and to family life. But please tell me if I'm completely off base. No, you're 
on target. Exactly what you said. The first episode of this podcast series is with David Crusoe, an expert in emotional intelligence as a skill. He said exactly what you said, basically, that really it's about awareness, that awareness and a little separation is important. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. My training of this skill at home spills over to work. And if I work on it at work, it spills over to home. For once in my life, double benefit. Home and work actually converges in a positive way. Do you have advice for, say, uh, someone's a trainee or junior colleague or just, you know, a child, you know, just feels like they're in a position of less authority or power than, say, a parent or the physician in the room, but you feel that you have more emotional intelligence than that authority figure, whoever it is. Do you think that there are ways that you can, as a non-authority figure, still guide that interaction with emotional intelligence? The natural question is, how do you teach emotional intelligence? But it's really, it really kind of flips the question on its head when the question is, how do you teach up? For emotional intelligence, you know, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone is going to take kindly to to me saying, "Have you thought about how emotionally intelligent you are right now?" You know, like, <laughs> no one's going to like that comment coming from me, whether I am their superior or inferior. And so, I think it's a lot of hinting at the skills that you're trying to develop, or hinting at the strategies that you hope that person uses. I think a good example of this is like when we were medical students and you know that there was an answer that was wrong, but you want to say that it's wrong and you know the right answer, but you can't just come out and say like, actually, X, Y, Z is the right answer because then you're like that med student, right? So (laughs) what have we learned to do as med students? You say, could you help me? Could you help me understand how you get to that answer? Something that my wife and I talk a lot about is that both of us as parents, we have moments that we're not proud of in front of the kids. There's moments where we are a little bit too harsh, are a little bit too strict, um, and the other parent sees that. And what we've had a very kind of open conversation about at another time when it's not so emotionally charged is to say, hey, do you remember that conversation that you had with Ethan or Emma, my kids' names, with Ethan and Emma? Maybe we could have approached that differently because I think they really got the point and you didn't have to hit it home that hard. What's really been helpful is for us to call each other out, but at a different time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a lot about leading by example and really being inquisitive about, like, why did you react that way? Like, why did you become so angry when you saw someone else's anger? It wasn't about you. It was about them. And then having those conversations, perhaps at a less heated time, is kind of the best way, at least, that I can think of for how we've dealt with it at home and how we might deal with it at work. Yeah. No, I mean, gosh, can I grow up in a second life? (laughs) (laughs) You should ask my kids. I don't think they're very pleased with them when, when we do that. But, you know, we try. We're trying to be better. So just like in clinical care with residents, med students, attendings, however you want to look at the hierarchy, like similarly, I think it is easier for a resident to say something like that than a medical student can. Yeah. You do so much stuff that is absolutely amazing. How do you deal with burnout? Oh, gosh. Uh, Great question. If I knew, I think, you know, obviously I would sell it, but I don't have a very clear answer for this. There's a couple things that I've realized is that, one, getting back to why I went into medicine is Mm -hmm. really helpful. And two, which sounds totally contradictory to what I just said, getting out of medicine is really helpful, too. 
what I realize that I love the most is talking to my patients and getting to know them. Mm-hmm. That connection that I have with my patients is ultimately what makes it all worth it. You know, I think that's the one piece. And then the other piece I'll briefly mention is that because of the COVID pandemic, I basically didn't take vacation for a year. Yeah. And it wasn't until like a full year and a half into the pandemic that I finally said, I'm going to unplug for a good week, sign everything out and not look at anything, which is so funny because on one hand, it's just like throw yourself more into getting to know patients. And on the other hand, it's like get completely away. Mm -hmm. But I think what it taught me is just anything in between trying to like do it all, but do it all not to the fullest potential just made everything feel a little bit more taxing. Yeah. No, I get it. I I think your answer makes perfect sense, even though you're saying it's sort of the opposite, because more and more, I think there's just this paradox that's part of life. It's the Asian concept, the yin and the yang, but Mm -hmm. it's like the two together, it's maybe not an exact balance for me at any given moment, but I need both. I need the work and I need home and I need them both. And I don't want to give up either. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It would make my life easier to only have one of those things rather than two. Because of COVID, my patient visits are longer right now just because of the whole cleaning of the room and stuff like that that had to happen at certain times. I've had a little bit more time sometimes lately since I haven't changed it back to shorter to connect. And I find that that extra time has been one thing that has really, it's true, it has kept me going. It's just like little conversations about Mm -hmm. their life and their kids or their grandkids. And it's surprised me actually how much it means to me. I do think in Durham, we've created, understandably, but created a specialty where efficiency is king Mm -hmm. or queen. And I think that the issue is that because our visits are relatively short, it's really hard for us to delve into those personal stories that make someone fully human and to truly get someone's personality. Just the way that patients are booked in dermatology makes it so difficult to do Mm -hmm. that. I'm so glad you said that because it makes me feel like less of a... (laughs) lost person because (laughs) this whole connection piece with patients is really a novel thing to me still. And I don't know how I've gotten this far in my career without having really thought about it. I'm just amazed. I'm so glad I got to talk to you. Do you have any final thoughts? You know, I think that, first of all, I would just say I would commend you for launching this whole process just from the inciting factor way back when, you know, I think that it says so much about you that you are willing to take this deep dive into these topics that can be uncomfortable because it's not something that all of us grew up with. It's not something that we were trained with as kids. It's something that we have to work at. So I think it's great that you're doing this podcast and you wrote your book. And I think it's awesome. From my perspective, I would just say that despite the burnout issues and despite kind of the difficulty when patients are just aren't a fan of me, aren't a fan of my work, or patients that are angry because their parking was too expensive or they had to wait too long in the waiting room. Despite all of that, I I find a lot of comfort in thinking about the patients that did have a good experience and mm-hmm. focusing on the positive 
and realizing that I, I can be a positive influence for a lot of my patients, for a lot of learners, for a lot of residents and medical students. And I hope that at the end of the day, when you and I are both much older and retired, that someone will think back to that experience and realize that our our hearts were in the right place and that hopefully I've become a better person for it. The last thing I'll say is that I feel like now that I've done training in derm and medicine and, and the other things that I like to teach, I'm still always blown away by how much I'm learning from my patients, my med students, my, my residents, my colleagues. It sounds super cheesy to say that medicine is a field about lifelong learning, but it truly is. I really feel so lucky that I get to work in a profession where I'm just constantly expanding my mind with new information, new ways to do things that I was taught before. And that's such a privilege. Just like talking to you and getting to hear about your take on all this stuff. This has been really refreshing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. I enjoyed this so much. Thank you for spending the time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. <laughs> 